0: This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com. In today's dynamic retail landscape, tracking openings and closings before they take place has never been more important. Having this intelligence is an undeniable competitive advantage. RetailOpeningsandClosings.com, also known as Rock, tracks future openings and future closings. Comprehensive, accurate and reliable, the Rock is your crystal ball and the key to making well-informed decisions with confidence in today's evolving retail climate. Welcome to Retail Retold. Today we have Diana Shipley. Diana is the VP of leasing for Saul Centers. She's been in the retail real estate business for over 30 years and brings a perspective that I think will excite everyone. Welcome to the show, Diana.
1: Well, thank you so much, Chris, for having me on your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, You're welcome. So Diana, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and what you do, and what Saw Centers is up to these days.
1: Sounds good. Um, I've been in the retail business, as you said, over 30 years. I've had experience on all aspects of the business. I started in retail in 1988 working for Combined Properties, which is a grocery anchored center locally to the D.C. market. And I started in their construction department and learning the cost of construction, learning how to read blueprints, Etc., and went from there to experience in land, uh, representing Dafco, which is the largest franchisee owner of Wendy's International in the DC market. In addition, I have short stint in brokerage, and then assisting in acquisitions of a shopping center, malls, downtown properties with Joseph Stitt. He's the founder of Thor Equities in New York. And currently, I'm a vice president leasing at Spauld Centers where I've been here for about 14 years, and um, it's been very exciting here. Wow. So- and Saul Center uh, was formed in 1993 and has over 65 grocery anchored centers and over 9 million square feet of grocery anchored. Um, and we serve pretty much the community day-to-day needs, um, not like a mall, but more just the local communities. And Saul centers based in Bethesda, Maryland. majority of our centers are all locally Maryland, Virginia focused. Um, we do have a couple of centers in Atlanta, Florida, and North Carolina, and one in New Jersey.
0: So a couple things. One, you started out in the construction department, which I think is unique. Most people uh, who are really on the deal side don't start in the construction department. Uh, you think that helps you?
1: It's so funny. Um, Yes, I do. Because way back then, I wanted to get into leasing. And I remember my boss saying, one day, you'll thank me for being in the construction department. And I will say, I thank him every day, because it it does make a difference. Understanding what um, costs are and, you know, putting a bathroom from the front to the back and certain things that people want to do that really isn't cost effective has really helped quite a bit.
0: I can only imagine. Yeah, we spend a lot of time in working with our construction department where have me having the leasing team work with the construction department and the construction department working the leasing team. They both report up to me today and so that cohesiveness is really critical to make sure everyone's on the same page of a deal and how to make sure that the deal pencils. So I'm sure that's paid dividends.
1: Absolutely.
0: You you've got a huge focus in DC understanding the grocery uh retail perspective. Saul Centers is public?
1: We're a real estate investment trust. So we are in the stock exchange.
0: Got it. So you guys you guys are a REIT. And so what what are you guys seeing today? What's going on in the world? Give us a state of the industry from Diana's perspective, what are you seeing as this evolution of retail continues to happen?
1: Um, excluding COVID-19 today? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, outside of that, um, let's let's go yes. pre-COVID-19.
1: All right, so pretty much um, I'm seeing that, I mean, we just finished a brand new center in Loudoun County, and understanding the project from both strengths and weaknesses, Um, are very important to overcome some obstacles that each center may have. Um, I think everybody is looking for, um, local day to day. Well, again, it goes back to being a community center somewhat discussed that focus and creating a momentum, um, to lease up a new center in a suburban area inner city centers have more density and population advantages in the suburban areas, a community-focused center needs to have services for that community. And that's that's kind of, I mean, so far we we did a great job in the Loudoun County area. Um, and for me, I focused on generating new traffic to this particular center um, the retail industry is constantly evolving. Uh, brick and mortar stores are here to stay. I don't care what anybody says. Um, I think e commerce has helped generate more traffic, especially in times like these. Uh, when I started retail, we didn't have the luxury of technology, iPads, Geofence software, uh, real time access of technology with millennials and Generation Z changing the way things are done. I'm grateful that they. Uh, don't mind me hanging out with them, and I'm usually the mother of the group. They keep me young. Um, the younger generation is more familiar with using social media and grew up with computers. I also needed to adapt my um, experimenting um, and expertise with Facebook and LinkedIn live videos to drive some traffic to our centers uh, and to see how how that worked um, and. To me, it generated traffic to the centers, but it didn't always help with leasing vacant spaces. Um so the basic leasing space is still seeking out new tenants and what does the area need, how to fill a void in that particular market. It's also about a lot of signage, uh new ways um to put signage, like we used flags around the center. Uh, to generate some some high traffic to the center, uh, it also needs just to follow up on phone calls, emails is so important to the tasking of leasing up a new center.
0: Going back a little bit, if if you were to summarize the state of the world, let's call it pre COVID nineteen of retail. If I unpack what you said, it, it's changing, but you believe the technological advances are helping both tenants and potentially landlords in bringing tenants to that, right? Cause, because we have new technologies like geofencing, location analytics, and uh, potentially new ways to communicate and find business owners. and And they have abilities whether that's, you know, all the technologies they have, loyalty programs and their data collection where they hopefully can do more business. Is that, did I get that or am I off?
1: No, you you definitely uh, got it right. I mean, we have so many resources at our fingertips now that we didn't have years ago that tenants are making better judgments on if they need one store in the market or two. I still think there's a lot of um, growth, both connecting old school, new school ways of finding real estate and if it's going to be successful or not, because there are software programs that have algorithms that are supposed to predict what certain sales volumes are going to be. And I don't think that's down to a perfect science yet because I'm seeing software programs that are being analyzed with existing retailers, current openings that do not have accurate numbers. So just for example, a Warren Rogers that's doing 1.5 million in a certain area, when they put the software um, together, it didn't predict that number. It actually predicted lower. So I still think we've got a lot of growth to go on those algorithms um, that sometimes the old school, when you go to a site, you, you see the traffic patterns, you you feel what's going on. You, there's kind of that gut instinct still. Um, some of the basics you need to see if there's full access and stuff like that. But I think they are helping make less mistakes in the marketplace. And I think social media has helped drive local traffic to local centers which has been very successful but in terms of like i said filling vacant spaces not so much
0: what do you say to the headline news reporter that says retail's dead look at all these stores that are closing how could you argue that retail's not dead what do you say to that person
1: i say it's it's still evolving i i don't think i think that again we didn't have the smartphone years ago. Um, the smartphone has changed a lot of ways of how we purchase merchandise uh, with Amazon. But I I think that brick and mortar is here to stay. I think that e-commerce has made a couple um, conclusions that said, you know what? In order for us to drive more traffic, they they hit a certain feeling in their volumes if they're just online that they need a certain presence where people can come and feel the product or see the product and you had a podcast or anchor shops that, that really delivered that message pretty loudly and was very innovative in the way they they brought brands that couldn't afford their first door to the marketplace
0: yeah i agree i th- I had this woman on our podcast, Melissa Gonzalez, who actually said the number is like $10 million. That's when the digitally native only retailer probably starts to look at a brick and mortar presence to scale because the economics of e-commerce only get really challenging. And for branding and more sales, that's typically when they start. So we'll see. I think the big myth is that, and I keep saying on a lot of different podcasts, not just mine, that the the cost of e-commerce today is actually greater than the cost of of brick and mortar. The myth is that it's cheaper. The cost of entry is cheaper. So it's for, you know, Diana and Chris to open up a t-shirt shop, it's cheaper for us to start than to spend a lot of money on construction and open a store. But to scale, if, you know, if she orders four and returns three, and doesn't pay for shipping, well, that, those economics are broken and it doesn't work. So we're going to see how that plays out. But, and to scale, you know, the, the brick and mortar real estate it, it is seemingly less expensive than to scale the digitally only. So we'll see how that plays out for sure. You did mention, though, that you don't think these technology innovations are helping landlords actually lease space. And so, what did you mean by that?
1: So, um, I actually tried it out. Um Our company allowed me to work with a PR firm to do a couple social media like Facebook live videos at a couple of our centers in Mountain county, and we did see a pickup in traffic to those particular centers that we worked with, some of the tenants, because people are more about emotion now, not so much a product. And they get excited when a new restaurant opens up. And we did we did one for Ford's Shack at Lansdowne that went crazy when we first announced that they were coming. And I was pretty amazed at the traffic that could be generated in literally within a minute that happened so quickly. I can't remember how many views it just, it it actually broke my Facebook. I was knocked out for a while.
0: (laughs) That's crazy. So I'm going to challenge you here for a minute. Why why don't you think social media helps lease space?
1: So because I think when it's good for someone to come there, but if somebody sees a vacant space, they really don't know what the next step is. So if you get a phone call from somebody that wants to open a restaurant and you might have second generation space, but they may not have um, qualifications. They may not have a business plan. They may not have their ducks in a row. So social media can, it's nice to be able to show that there's a center there but you really still need to meet that person and get to know them and really work with, especially mom and pop to get them to the table to leave space and what that's all about. It's still a very relationship based and still boots on the ground still, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I don't disagree with that, but I disagree with the premise that social can't help you leave space. I think it can, but I I don't disagree with the fact that at some point you have to take an online conversation to an offline. And I think this is larger than just commercial real estate. This is everything. I, I, I personally believe it can help. And I think the, the art is how, how creative you are. I think it goes back to, it goes back to the fundamentals. Social media is a different channel, but of, of, Marketing and selling, it comes back to do you believe marketing can help you lease space? Social media is just another form of that. Um, Do you believe that it can help you sell space? And so, if you believe that marketing in general can help you sell whatever your product is, right? Obviously, people have bought into that from a consumer products perspective, right? You see commercials for Tide and commercials for Nike and whatnot, and they believe that spending money on marketing will there's, drive sales, I guess.
1: No, there's no doubt that brand awareness is is out there. So I will say, like, if you have Tide in a product, their brand awareness, and yes, it's, that's more of a recognition through social media. I'm not knocking social media where I did a um, LinkedIn video when we first started breaking ground at Ashbrook. And when we started breaking ground is when we were able to create the momentum for the center. So I did use a social media platform for that to get started. So it's still a learning curve for me. Um, again, I'm not in that generation that knows a lot about it. so I'm still embracing it and trying to pick it up and, and follow it to see how it works. I do think property capsule you guys use where you can send sites instead of having to go and show space um, has been great, but it it really is a mix of both now. Kind of like e-commerce when it comes to retail stores, they have to have a brick and mortar store as well as e-commerce. You can't do without both.
0: That I don't disagree with, but I I hope I'm about to change your perspective. So I was trying to get, and I'm continuing, always trying to get quality guests on my podcast. That's a, I'll call that a sale. When I get them on, I made a sale. Did you and I ever speak on the phone before we are recording this today? No. And how did I find you? On LinkedIn. On social media. So no, I I don't think this is any different than signing a lease. In my perspective, so
1: that's interesting I don't know that I've gotten well, I will say this Facebook live, so there's a correction, so I guess it depends on which platform you choose. There's so many different social media platforms, so there's Instagram and um, Facebook Live and LinkedIn I have found is better um, as my experience has been growing to use for Business contacts more than Facebook Live.
0: I'm going to bring it back to, to me, it depends on your belief in marketing because you could do something, right? You know, on Instagram or Facebook and you could buy an ad and target that against all nail salon owners and try to land on the newsfeed of nail salon owners. And I find that most small business owners. Man and control their social media sites. So when it shows up on Nail Salon One's news feed, the person who's seeing that is the owner of that nail salon. So I think there's things that I think it depends on the creative and the marketing, less on if the 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 power of the platform. I heard something, a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk said he was interviewing someone and he was meeting with I think it was the CEO of Anheuser-Busch. And he was trying to say, you know, put a lot of money into social media. And I guess the CEO said something about, and it was the time with the election and Trump. And he said, you know, I don't know, Facebook kind of changed the face of the election. And his comment was, so let me get this so I understand it. You believe that the platform has the power to change the never the democratic landscape but you're not sure if it can help sell your beer and you know that was perspective for me at the time when it was like you know what maybe there's nuance in how to use it but to me whether it's linkedin twitter instagram facebook snapchat i think they all podcasting i think that they all have power to facilitate a sale there is no doubt there's nothing that beats the human connection and to your point I believe that going and meeting with people in that face-to-face relationship will always be there. Nothing beats the human connection. But I also believe these are new tools that could potentially help. No doubt in today's world, signing a lease, you're probably going to get to a face-to-face at some point. That said, there are people buying commercial properties on auction.com that never see the property. There are people that are buying cars on Carvana and never see the car and it just shows up. So I, I think there's, there's going to be some movement. Uh, we I think it's early, but I think it's going to evolve. If you told me in 15 years, I was going to be able, and I'm probably early, but I was going to be able to go, hey, Alexa, put in a bid to go lease X space in X shopping center mm, that doesn't seem far-fetched to me.
1: Um, my husband does technology and I've done real estate and I find that both of our worlds have kind of collided and I'm still low tech. He's very high tech. And so it's, it's really learning and there's so much to learn um, it's like you know they have one platform and now all of a sudden there's another platform and which one's better? I mean, now they've got TikTok. So it's like there are so many and it's it's happening so quickly. But all I can tell you is that if you choose to do social media, you pick one, two or three platforms and you have to do it well. If you don't, it doesn't it doesn't really stick.
0: I agree. You know that doesn't change the fact that you got to do it well, right? No different than a TV commercial. You could do a TV commercial, but if it stinks and what doesn't land well, then you're gonna miss. And I, I don't think it's any different. So I, I agree with that totally.
1: But I think you're finding a generation of, you know, above sixty, and you know those people are even challenged to try and figure out Facebook and stuff like that, and and to put analytics on top of that it's it's a little bit of a learning curve you have to constantly be embracing um change which is something nobody really likes
0: <laughs> totally agree so moving on so i'm going to pivot a minute that was really helpful i really appreciate the whole real estate tech perspective i guess the next thing that is interesting we're not going to talk about one story you actually We're part of a new retail shopping center being built amidst these, you know, evolutionary times, which there's not a lot of new retail shopping centers being built. And so you being a part of one, I think, brings interesting perspective. Why don't you tell us the story of that shopping center and how this all got done?
1: Sure. Um, you're, You're referencing Ashbrook Marketplace. It was my responsibility to lease up. I'm proud to say that the center is now 100% lease and within one year of moving dirt, last January 2019. And I mentioned earlier this project is located in Loudoun County, Northern Virginia. This area is the most affluent co- county in the U.S. and the medium income is about an average of 142 in a one-mile radius. Loudoun is the fifth fastest-growing county in the U.S and with 84% growth since 2000. um, Our center uh, had a lot of obstacles to overcome because it was only 85,000 square feet. It sat on 13.7 acres. We're very limited in in sizes that we needed to really give the serious planning before we really did too much. And so we, we laid it out with three pads and I'll tell you, it, it took a lot of teamwork coordinating the construction team, development team, when the site went under construction to keep the project within our budget. So Ashbrook had some immediate competition. Actually, directly behind us, we have 171,000 square feet, uh, anchored center, uh, with Harris Theater, Home Goods, AC Moore, Bank of America, Wendy's, uh, Broadway Shoes, and we were on the corner that front their particular site. And then across the street on, on Route 7, Riverside Square, shopping center that has another 100,000 under construction, less than a half a mile. And that is a non-grocery anchored center. And it's signed a fitness center and Texas Roadhouse, Sheeps Gas Station. And then a half a mile. Next to that, uh, which is a beautiful project called One Loudon, RPAI is leasing it now. And that project is mixed use with a lot of residential and creating that live-work feel with Alamos and the Draft House, Bar Louis, Nando's, Uncle Julio's, Trader Joe's, and more. I mean, they, they opened the first Barnes & Noble, which was nice to see in Loudon County. And the center is, is doing well. So then from there, you've got Commonwealth Center. That's 1.2 million square feet mixed use. That's got a top golf that's 65,000 square feet. I fly that's 9,300. CVS, they're under construction with waterworks and a shooting range and another fitness center. And then they have a silver diner that's coming to the market, which is exciting. So I was very concerned when we first started breaking ground because my project was very, very small. But we needed to to make it work. So one of the main things we had to do was find an anchor, which um, we worked on quite a few before we landed Lidl. And Lidl is a German global discount supermarket with a strong European presence. Yet when we started, they had no stores open in the U.S. And at the time, it was hard as a landlord to create a center around an unknown retailer. However, Self Center, we worked with them and to create a deal that worked for both parties. And we, we got that deal done. And uh, Self Center has some great leadership teams that every time we had an obstacle, we would meet and really talk about how do we get where we need to go. And we worked really together to make this, this successful. And everybody had an important part, even down to the facilities manager, where we installed these flag signs. Have you seen the ones that are flying out now that we we created this buzz around the dirt that was moving? I don't suggest putting flags around a construction site because they definitely don't make it through a year. (laughs) (laughs) Because when you start moving dirt, um, some of these guys don't really care about a sign. So there's a few times... A few times we've had to fix them, put them back up. It was really kind of difficult in the beginning, but it did create some of the momentum uh, that we needed. And we started putting up each building. We had three buildings, three pad sites. And when you have a center that we just had an anchor, that it was really challenging to make sure that each space we were designing didn't have columns in the middle, when you didn't have leases signed, who knows what that size is going to be. So for a while, we picked two buildings to lease first, building B and C, and we waited for building A because we weren't sure how this was going to go. as we started, we got pizza and we've got dentist, Cafe Rio signed, um, we got row house, yoga sticks, and a salon. So we really started moving along. Um, We got Dunkin' Donuts on a pad, Valvoline, and it came together. And we have the first McAllister's in Mound County. Um, All these moving parts weren't easy.
0: So I totally understand. Give me some context. How long have you guys owned the dirt?
1: Um, Salt Center's got the dirt. Probably, I want to say within two years.
0: This isn't something they've owned for 30 years and they've been land banking and waiting. They proactively went, and like, we know this is an opportunity. Let's go buy this land.
1: Actually, it was uh, in our trust. So the trust decides that, you know, when they want to sell. So they sold it to sole centers to do the leasing. So we're, we're different entities there.
0: Okay. And had the trust had this land for a long time?
1: I assume so. I'm not really privy to some of that information. Understood. But we definitely have even more across the street. We have another 52 acres across the street that we're looking at possibly rezoning and doing mixed use there. So this this was a decision we made thinking at the time Trader Joe's hadn't signed a deal and they were looking in the county market so when we first started we thought we could land them and we had a great relationship with them and as you know sometimes when you start some of these projects the end goal that you start in your mind isn't always what actually happens in the marketplace Trader Joe's um, RPI, RPAI had a uh, fresh market and they ended up closing. So instead of building from scratch, Trader Joe's decided we're just going to take an existing grocer in this market. So over a year, that decision had changed drastically to a different site than what we had originally planned. So that was a hiccup in the market. <laughs>
0: Understood. Yeah, that's it. That's a big one. If you think you're getting Trader Joe's and then they, they go away, that happens. But that's really, uh, that's really challenging. You mentioned a bunch of the, the tenants that you brought to the marketplace.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Going back a little bit, I think one of the things that we keep hearing in retail and in retail real estate and anywhere in commercial real estate is that construction costs are rising. And so, fortunately, it's, you know, what I know about Loudon and Northern Virginia, it's, it's a strong rental market, meaning the rents are higher. So sometimes you can offset some of those costs. But did you have any hiccups as it related to construction costs? And did you get to the returns that you thought you were going to get to?
1: I, I will say that this, this project was not an easy project um, by any means, because we had estimated our construction costs. I worked with our development team every day or every week. We we met once a week. And to make sure, because we had designed each building, so building A was about 18 to 20,000 square feet, building B was about 14,000, and building C was about 10,000. Now, in the middle of of us going forward, Lidl had announced that they were changing their prototype and canceling contracts. So that didn't help at all. <laughs> so, but of
0: course, that's what happened.
1: Yeah. So what we did is, um, and my competition really, really dug their heels on that one, saying Lidl was never going to come to Ashbrook Marketplace. So Lidl was very committed to the deal and they wrapped their site, uh, when they were under construction with their logo, which really helped us and committed once they started moving their dirt, everybody knew they were coming. So that was a big help and they were really, uh, great to deal with on, on a couple of things that we had asked them to help wrap the site with their logo.
0: Did you lease it or sell it to Lidl?
1: So that was a ground lease to Lidl. And that was probably their very first ground lease in the marketplace because they had chose to purchase all of their sites. And this was the first one that that they were ground leasing and we were building a shopping center around them. So that was also a challenge. Understood. So getting back to the numbers, so having a small site and making sure that we kept on our budget And made the numbers. Yes, we, this project came in. Um, everything was a perfect storm to say that I worked with construction and that's where my construction background did help because I was in the construction department all the time. Because what happens is they order materials, HVACs and all this stuff ahead of time. Glass fronts, door fronts, everything we had to make a few modifications. But because I, I brought them in so early in the game, when you have a restaurant, those guys require more HVAC tonnage than a dentist does. Um, when you have a boutique fitness, you got to be concerned about sound. You don't want them to be next to, um, a spa and not have them coexist well. So we had to spend a little extra money on a sound specialist to come out and really help design the space to make sure that, that the, the building would be found proof, not really proof, but found where it didn't interrupt the other tenants. So that was also an issue too. But like I said, we have a great professional team here. I was in their office pretty much every day, and we worked together really closely on this project, and this was a team effort to get it to where it was Successful. So,
0: and how many tenants is it today?
1: Uh, So, we have let's see, I want to say, I think we've got a total of 15. So, yeah.
0: And so, Lidl, and who's the second largest tenant?
1: Planet Fitness.
0: Planet Fitness. And so, is anyone open today?
1: No, so right now, um, the only Lidl, that was that was the interesting, we didn't think Lidl was going to open till March of 20, but they opened, they wanted to be open for Thanksgiving, so they opened in November, and we were, we're still opening up the rest of Building A, and Planet Fitness will be opened, hopefully the end of this month. Um, we've got row house and yoga six going to be open probably April and Rabino's um, uh, cafe Rio. We're supposed to open today, but I think they're delaying four weeks because of what's going on out there. Um, but yeah, everybody's going to be open soon.
0: I guess that brings me to my next question is just piggybacking off of what you said, you know, planet fitness opening the end of this month a couple of tenants opening in April. You just mentioned Cafe Rio. What do you think COVID-19 does to tenant openings, right? If if I was a tenant, you know, um I'm trying to think how I would be thinking about that right now. And we're in we're in the midst of it for those out there. It's Monday, March 16th. This this podcast will probably not get released for a little while, but you know, we're in the midst of this, so maybe by now this is old news, but as we're dealing with it, you know, we're we're live in real time right now. What what are you? What's your take? And maybe not just for this project, you know, just in general. How do you see retail openings in the United States right now? Being a a retail expert,
1: uh, this is definitely unfamiliar territory.
0: Yeah, uncharted waters for sure.
1: Yeah, but I definitely think uh, we're just beginning, and I think. Holding off for a little while is probably wise. I, I think that we all still need food, still need conveniences. We'll still need all these, uh, retailers. Um, I just think we just don't know how long we're going to be in the state of, uh, lockdown. We're not quite locked down yet, but being in our homes because, um, that's, that's the million dollar question right now is how long are we going to be doing this and it could be 2 weeks it could be 4 weeks it could be 8 weeks it could be 6 months um i don't think anybody knows and if anything just like i started this project that you know we didn't have much to start with and i think everybody doing what they can do and being safe and washing their hands and everything like that and being socially responsible and if you're ill stay home and once we get through this because we will get through this and um we'll still need retail we'll still we will still have the mom and pop that wants to open a, a bagel store you'll we'll still have the needs that the kids in the local high school need a place to go hang out and get something to eat we'll still need local fitnesses or yoga studios, and um, So it's it's definitely, and even today, I I spoke to one of the largest uh, grocery providers out there in the marketplace, and he said, it's not that we don't have food in the products, it's just we can't ship it fast enough. So I just think right now everybody's in a state of panic, and the uncertainty and fear is very paralyzing. But I think once we stay calm and know that we can get through this. And maybe it's really to think about, you know, just the moment for now and getting through this because we will, and just to stay encouraged and hopeful because we're all still going to need retail.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, I don't disagree with that. I think, you know, clearly there's some economic impacts that are happening and, Nobody knows what those will be, but we are certainly going to probably start to feel them soon.
1: Well, I grew up in Houston, Texas, so in 1984 was the worst time ever. People were vacating their homes, and Transco Tower was vacant. Those that are from Houston remember, and D.C. has been somewhat insulated. But when you have a pandemic like this, I don't think the world's ever seen something like this, especially the U.S.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think so either, right? When you have governments are forcing, uh, you know, people to close. That's different than the economic scenario being challenging. When the government's forcing restaurants in Illinois and bars in Illinois and forcing Ohio you know, New York and whatever states there are to close. And it feels like it's going to start to roll everywhere. I I think it's, that's going to be a challenge, you know?
1: Yeah, I I definitely do. Um, Like I said, I I don't think we've been in this kind of situation before. Um, I do think the economy was very strong before we got here. So a lot of this, watching the news and I I, I just think it's um, very uncertain about what's going to happen. And I think nobody really knows, but I would think that again, it's, it's going to get difficult, um, but stay in faith and be hopeful. We're going to get through all this. Totally. Um, So
0: I appreciate that, So, uh, and good little story. I mean, awesome to hear some trials and tribulations of how a new center in this retail evolution was able to be fully leased, get best-in-class retailers and service uses to sign up, and now you're 100% leased. Anything else interesting we didn't talk about about this project, about Lidl and Planet Fitness and the yoga guy and the other tenants that you brought this collection of cool uses and were able to figure out how to get them all signed up in this really competitive marketplace in Loudoun and then this – in Northern Virginia and in this really, you know, evolutionary time in retail? Anything that we didn't cover? Anything – Real estate specific, retail specific, any little tidbits?
1: No, I I don't think so. I think, like I said, it's you know working with each retailer, trying to provide them, give them what they need. And also just coming from the retail perspective and a landlord's perspective, we both have performance. We both have needs to be met and negotiating together and, and those strong relationships to bring it to the end result. Um, was really working uh, with these retailers to give them what they needed. And it's no longer a very, um, you can't really push your way to have your deal term. It really is about meeting in the middle and making a fair deal for both parties.
0: All right, Diana, that was a, a cool story of how a uh, a new development, which we don't hear about a lot, got got done, and I'm glad you met your performer on construction, even in this crazy construction environment we've been living in the past few years, and got some great uh, retailers, especially after the Trader Joe's dream uh, got smushed, you were still able to persevere. So really cool. Uh, Thanks for the story. We're going to pivot to our next part of the show, Retail Wisdom, and I know you know this um this part of the show so i'm just going to get on with it are you ready
1: mm-hmm. yes
0: all right. all right best piece of commercial real estate advice to the listeners out there
1: best piece of advice um you know my my wisdom would be to work hard, stay the course, do all that you can to make it work and leave the rest up in God's hands. And When you've done all you can do, have a little faith and hope in the future.
0: Faith and hope. Probably probably some sage advice given everything going on now. Question two. Extinct retailer you wish would come back from the dead.
1: Right now, FAO Schwartz because I think everyone has a little kid inside them and it would be nice to go and see some of the fun and play. You know, I don't think any of us play enough. So that would be a great retailer to bring back. I miss those guys.
0: Love that. All right. Well, given uh, everything going on at DLC, we are working remotely and I needed a new chair for my home office so I wasn't getting anything crazy, but I went to Staples. I went brick and mortar shopping. I went to Staples, and I got the Staples Rutherford Luxura Manager Chair in black. What did that retail for? What did I purchase the Staples Rutherford Luxura Manager Chair for? Oh my
1: goodness! Um, hundred bucks, hundred and thirty bucks.
0: That's a big difference. 100 or 130.
1: Um I'll just say 100. I'm
0: going to say Wow. Impressive. I it was 99.99. I'm going to count that as a win. Thank you for playing. Most people do not win. You are a winner. Uh the karma is going to be with you on your Project Ashbrook Marketplace. That is that is awesome Uh, most people don't get that right so kudos to you
1: well chris i'll invite you out when planet fitness has their grand opening
0: sounds good i hope it's sooner rather than later and uh thank you for joining the show today really appreciate the insights
1: well thank you chris i appreciate you having me on your show
0: Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you are a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next
1: Thursday's episode.